Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, February 18th, 2024, we continue our series titled Knowing Jesus, the Gospel of Luke. Today's sermon, Jesus and the Gospel, will be taught to us by Pastor Bob Wade out of Luke chapter 12, verse 49 through chapter 13, verse 9. Enjoy. The passage we're looking at this morning, um, I'm not going to kid you, is tough. Uh, You know, most of us probably lean towards things where we like to stop and look at the scriptures and we like to see this picture of Jesus that's just really, you know, loving and forgiving and and kind and, you know, heals and and all that stuff. All that stuff, it's an incredibly winsome picture of who Jesus is. But Jesus is also righteous. This passage will focus in on that. Not the righteousness that he's done in you by going to the cross and paying for your sins, but the righteousness he expects out of us. He expects us to be faithful. He expects us to trust him, to believe in him, to follow him, to... to, to recognize that you and I are sinners saved by grace. That there's nobody here that's, that's perfect. You know, that's what made, I mean, a, a difficult message, that's why, why this is such a tough place, is because when you get into chapters 12 and 13, this is what he's been focusing on. Last week, Kevin talked about how this crowd of thousands of people had gathered and Jesus very clearly wants to tell them, you need to be ready. Now he's gonna add four things to that. He's gonna tell this huge crowd of people that some people are going to be for him, but not everyone. Not everyone will believe. Not everyone will respond positively to the gospel message. Then he'll talk about the fact that that you and I, each of us need to make peace with God. Each of us fall short of God's standard. And that finally, that when he returns, he wants to find us faithful. You know, Jesus' words here really amount to a crisis. You say, well, how, how so? Because what he's gonna do in this passage is he's gonna force you to decide what you believe. Do you believe in him? Do you believe what he said? You're gonna have to pick a side. If you say, even if at the point where you're going, well, I'm not gonna pick a side, you've picked one then. You have picked one at that point. This has always sort of been the dividing line of faith. Am I gonna trust in God or am I gonna do this my way? I'm gonna believe the things that I wanna believe, I'm gonna put the story together the way I think it should be together, or do I believe God's word? King Solomon, who's the wisest man who ever lived, told us back even in Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, he describes this when he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In other words, there's these two choices, don't choose that one. Jesus' appearance brought that crisis to each of us. Now I have to decide what I believe about him. For example, when Acts chapter 4, 12 says, there is salvation in no one else. Do I believe that? 
Or Jesus' own words, like the song that we sang a minute ago, Jesus' own words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do I believe him? You know, the thing that hits you about that is when you really think it through, you cannot be neutral about Jesus. Either you believe and you trust in him or you don't. Jesus' own words there don't even allow for any other way to God other than him. They don't allow for any other savior. He is it. Either I believe it or I don't. Now, let's look at the passage together here because this is gonna be very, very clear here. Jesus is gonna mention some hard words. He's gonna talk about a distress that he has to go through in going to the cross. He's gonna talk about the division that actually the cross and the gospel sort of puts out there in families. Watch what he says here. First thing we're gonna look at here in verses 49 through 53 is he'll tell us that some people will be for him and some won't. Look at verse 49. Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. So Jesus tells us his purpose for coming is to cast fire on the earth. Fire here, biblically, is almost always related to judgment. And context-wise, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you realize that Luke 12 has lots of judgment in it. Jesus is saying that his coming is gonna be like fire. You cannot ignore it. It will reveal our hearts. We keep going here. Verse 50. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So Jesus describes here him going to the cross by saying it will be called a distress. Now why does he call it that? Well, because he's facing both physical torture and emotional torture, and he knows it. I mean, can you remember the story here, the night that Jesus was betrayed? If you remember the story, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus takes all of his disciples, and he goes to a garden called Gethsemane, and he goes there to pray. And you remember, of course, a group of soldiers all show up, you know, and they, they arrest him there and they take him away to leave. But before the soldiers showed up, you remember that Jesus goes there and he begins to pray. First he prays and then he goes off a little bit further with three of the disciples. And then he goes off by himself and verse 48 says, he sweat great drops of blood. Now here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say they grabbed him and beat him up and then he sweat drops of blood. It doesn't say that he sweat great drops of blood on the cross. It says in anticipation of going to the cross, he sweat great drops of blood. He knew what was coming. Medically, it's called hematidrosis. It's a, it's a rare medical condition that only takes place in extremely stressful situations and circumstances, and it leaves the body incredibly painful all over where it's happening. That was Jesus' distress. He knew what was coming. You say, well, what did he know? Well, like the prophecy that comes from Isaiah 53, 5, that says that he will be crushed for our iniquities, that he would be pierced for our transgressions. He knew that was coming. He knew what, what Peter would write about in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that said that he would bear our sins on his body. He knew that. But you know what's so interesting here is 
Even if he knew that, why did he end up doing it? Because the last line in both of those verses, you see what it says there? It says, and with his wounds, or by his wounds, we are healed. That last sentence on both passages tells me that his distress is our blessing. So yes, the gospel was very difficult for him. It was a distress. But it's also difficult for us because it divides people. It divides friends. It divides families. You know, typically we don't think of Jesus and division in the same breath. But the truth of the gospel is very demanding. It demands that we make a choice and some people will not choose that. Now, I will tell you that if that's true of your family, I I hurt for you and I hurt with you because there are people that I love that don't believe. There are people that I love that think that going to church and and, and, reading through the scriptures is is the kookiest thing ever. I mean, you're reading a book that's a couple of thousand years old. They don't believe. I can remember one of my friends when I came to the Lord at 14 years old and we were, we're sitting there in this meeting and we both hear the gospel message and, and you know, I responded. He didn't. And I remember afterwards looking at him like, why, what, did you not get that? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't get it. Why is that? It, it hurts. I would encourage you that if, if you got family and friends like that, don't give up. Keep loving them. Keep encouraging them. Be gracious with them. But I would encourage you about one thing. Be very careful with your words. If you're gonna preach the gospel to them, I would, I would suggest you follow St. Francis of Assisi's sort of order on this, and that is preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Live it out in front of them. Just live it out. Watch how God uses that and pray. Keep praying like crazy because they're your mission field. Now keep going here in Luke 12. Go to verse 51. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather a division. So the gospel isn't really about peace here. You know, we typically identify Jesus with peace. I mean, we think about when Jesus was born. Remember the angels came and they said, on earth, peace, right? How does that work? Well, he is peace. He's the peace of God. When I come to faith in him, I have peace with the Father because of him. Jesus, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, he he stopped in Matthew 5 and, and he said, hey, blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, that's supposed to be our role. You and I are not supposed to be divisive. We're supposed to be peacemakers and bring peace into every single situation. But verse 51 is clear here that the message of who he is and what he will do and what is required of me will often divide people. It will expose hearts. In fact, let me show you what I'm, what I'm talking about here. Keep your finger here in Luke 12, and I want you to go back to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, because there's a story here of Jesus as a little baby here, and his parents take him to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice. 
course, there was nobody that you could leave him with, so you take him with you to make that sacrifice. And when they go to Jerusalem there and into the temple, they run into a guy named Simeon, a righteous and devout man who will prophesy about Jesus. Listen to what Simeon has to say in verses 34 and 35. It says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so yes, Jesus' birth will create a crisis for many. It will represent a division. I mean, we see that in so many different things. History itself is predicated upon that division with B.C. and A.D. But the crisis here, the crisis of the gospel is it reveals our hearts. Again, Jesus is not advocating a divisive spirit from us. He's predicting the inevitable, that you cannot be neutral about Jesus. Keep going here. Look at verses 52 and 53. He'll describe this crisis in a family. He says, from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I mean, so many of us have, have experienced that and it's a horrible thing. Look at verses 54 and 56, through 56 because he's gonna get very personal here now with the Pharisees. He says, and he said to those in the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say to one, say at once, the shower is coming, and so it begins. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, it's gonna be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to imp- uh, interpret this present time? In other words, as he's looking at the, uh, the, the Pharisees here, he's saying, look, you spend all day long in the law and the prophets multiple times a day. How is it you couldn't see that I was coming? How is it you couldn't see that the message would be difficult? Because death always is a difficult message. Sin is always a difficult message. It's such a difficult one that he even ends verse 56 here with the word time. It's the Greek word karos, which is where we get chronology. Karos here means, it represents a moment of critical decision, a crucial moment. It's crucial because we have to make a decision regarding Jesus. Will I trust in him or do I trust in my own way? Now you get to verses 57 through 59, he's gonna give us the second truth here. And that is that each of us need to make peace with God. So when he says, verse 57, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison, and I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The illustration he uses here is about the importance of getting right with him while we still have time have to get right with him. He's the one that went to the cross, took our place, paid the price for our mistakes, our sins, and so I need to get right with him or I'm gonna end up having to pay for those sins myself. 
There is no second chance then after you die. If you look at verse 58 here, it says that the the magistrate or the judge here who's obviously God the Father, the accuser here is Jesus, and those who need to settle with God, that's us. If we fail to make peace with God, we will suffer an eternal separation from God. Now, by the way, let me just, some people have read this and, and looked at verse 59 and they said, oh, so you can go to some place and actually pay your payment off after you die, a place called purgatory? No, purgatory is a ski resort that's north of Durango. <laughs> um, there is no purgatory in the Bible. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 27, that it is appointed for a man to die once and then comes the judgment. So Jesus is pleading here with them to make peace with him while they can because there is no second chance. Now the third thing he's gonna tell us here is that each of us falls short of God's standard. Look at chapter 13 and look at the first five verses here, he says. And there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. We'll come back to that in a second. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the, the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Each of us, what he's saying here, needs to recognize that we are sinners. Now, most people would stop and say, look, I get it, I'm not perfect. But at the same time, I'm probably better than most. I mean, I'm not locked up in prison someplace. I think I'm probably better than most. Here's the problem. God doesn't judge on a sliding scale. God doesn't judge by our standards. The Bible tells us that God judges by his standards. His standards are clear. Romans chapter three, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Let me put it in terms maybe that would be more understandable. None of us are perfect, and the standard of God's heaven is perfect. So on your own, I don't care if you're the best person in the room, you very well might be the, the, the most kind human being in the whole room, you will never be perfect. You cannot give away enough money to do that. You cannot help enough old men or old ladies across the street to do that. You cannot help your neighbors or people in need or do whatever the case may be. You cannot do that and fundamentally change your designation from a really, really nice, imperfect person to a perfect one. It doesn't work. The only way that happens is if every one of your sins are covered up by the blood of a perfect God. Someone here in verses one and two had told Jesus about something that Pilate had done. They told the story about the fact that a group of Galileans had come from Galilee, gone to Jerusalem, and they were going there because they were gonna make a sacrifice, and Pilate had them killed. And somewhere along the line, he took either their blood, possibly even more, even their flesh, and he mixed it in with the sacrifices that they were gonna make in the temple there, you know, for their sins, and, and all of that, and these people are going, oh, well, those Galileans must have been worse sinners than everybody else. 
Jesus' response is, no, they're not worse sinners than everybody else. You're either perfect or you're not. That's a hard one. Because we'd like to have some designations differently, you know, than other people. But that's where Jesus stops in verse three. And he says, unless you, the you here is us, repent, then you too will perish. Repentance is the idea that I stop and I, I, I quit following this track that is going my own way and I stop and I turn by the power that God puts inside of me with his Holy Spirit and walk away from it. That's not the life I'm gonna live. God's been convicting me, that's wrong. I, I shouldn't be doing that. Verses four and five, he'll tell them one more story. He brings up a story about 18 people who happened to be there when the Tower of Siloam fell over and killed them. And he stops and he says the same thing again. Do you think they're worse sinners than everybody else? And the answer is no. None of us are good enough to go get into God's heaven on our own. We're all imperfect. We're all sinners. That's why he's gonna say here twice in this passage, verse three and verse five, that we need to repent. We need to turn away from our sin and pursue Jesus. Now the fourth thing he's gonna tell us here is in verses six through nine here, is that when he returns, he wants to find us faithful. Listen to what he says. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? The vine dresser answered him and said, sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure, then it shall bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Jesus here in verses 6 through 9 is going to teach us two truths. Very important truths. Here's the first one. The Father's patience doesn't last forever. The second one is, God expects us to bear fruit. Right now, the Bible will tell us that our God is patient. One of the, you know, the favorite verses that I love, personally, I know many of you do as well, you know, in 2 Peter 3, 9, it, it tells us this. It says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Man, that's, that's exactly what God wants. He's, he's, he's holding on as long as he feels like he needs to hold on to allow you that time to turn to him and, and to repent. But like anything good that you do, if you're gonna read it with complete honesty, is you have to read it in context. Contextually, the next verse then says this, but the day of the Lord is, will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works on it are done, are done on it will be exposed. In other words, one day when we least expect it, his patient ends. You see why I would tell you this is not the favorite message that most people 
have. I mean, we love to talk about the, the patient side, but Jesus is warning here to this group of people who are playing at religion, not following him, playing at their religion. He tells them you need to repent. You need to recognize that you're wrong, that you're a sinner, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, turn around and walk a different way. Question is, are you ready? Are you ready? You know, one of the two questions that each of us need to answer is, am I ready to meet Jesus? And am I living the life he's called me to live? See, his coming created a crisis for humanity. Because like it or not, we have to make a decision. You may not verbalize that decision out of your mouth, but you've made it in your heart and your mind. If you don't follow him, you follow your own path. That's the crisis. We have to trust him or not. The truth is, though, he could have left us without any hope at all, but he didn't. He came in the flesh, ultimately went and died on a cross for our sins so that we could become sons and daughters of God by faith. But we have to repent. We have to recognize that we're sinners. I, I, I heard that message at 14. I'm gonna be honest with you, I wasn't anything spiritual at all, but no one had to convince me that I was imperfect. I got it. I got it that, that the gap between God's perfection and my imperfection was uncrossable on my own. I needed him. That's where faith came in. That's where trust came in. It's not my righteousness. It's his righteousness. But when it's imputed into me, now he's calling me to be righteous. And am I living the life he's called me to live? Because he expects me to bear fruit. You see, Jesus isn't meant to be like, well, I'm gonna continue to live my life any way I want to because nobody is gonna tell me how I'm gonna live my life. I live in America, I can do whatever I want. Except for when you come to faith in Christ, we crown him Lord of all. Or you haven't crowned him at all. We recognize him as the king of kings and that includes our life. So if he expects me to bear fruit, bear, bear fruit and to serve him and to honor him and to represent him, then I need to be seeking how can I do that? So the question is, where are you? Where are you? You know, I, um, I can remember back in the days when I was dating, there would be a, there was this, this term that was always out there in the dating realm called the DTR. Anybody remember that term? Determine the relationship. You had to have it. 
At some point, you gotta look at each other and go, what are we, right? You can't live in in the unknown forever. What are we? Um, You need to have that with Jesus. What are we, Lord? Because here's the truth about you. The, The Bible tells me you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And I, I want that to be true in my life as well. And if you're the king, that means I'm not the king. So where are you at with Jesus? I want to invite you, I want to encourage you that it doesn't matter whether you've grown up in the church or grown up outside of the church. Jesus had a crowd of thousands of people, many of them simply playing at religion. He's challenging them to move beyond that. He's telling them that the gospel message is gonna be so difficult that he views it as a distress, but in our realm it becomes a divider because not everyone will believe. But that we are called to believe. We're called to place our trust in him, to recognize that we are imperfect, that we need him. And then he wants us to live our lives for him, to honor him. Would you do that? I'm gonna ask you just for a moment, if you just for a second close your eyes, there's nothing spiritual about closing your eyes. But if just for a minute you could focus in on you, that's why I would ask you to do that. Just focus in on you for a minute. Where are you at with Jesus? What have you decided? If you want to trust in him, then you need to ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life, take control. He will. going to trust in him though it means you're not going to lean on your own understanding you're going to trust him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life in just a moment we're going to sing we're going to worship there's going to be a group of people that are going to be down here in the front There'll be people that'll be back by our follow Jesus table back in the back. Um, They would love to be able to stop and talk with you, listen to you, pray for you and with you. We would love to help you in this moment of crisis, of decision. You could make that a moment of freedom, a moment of victory, a moment of adoption into God's family. Father, I pray that you would move on every single heart. Lord, if there are those that have not come to you, that they would invite you to take control of their lives. That in all honesty, they would would recognize the fact that they are below your standard, that they're imperfect like everybody else. But that you came to do a work in our lives to set us free. And for those that are followers of you that have trusted you and 
that maybe they even need to turn around and walk away from the sin that, that so often deceives us and get to the place where we produce that our lives are fruitful. Move in our hearts to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name. It's not too late. It's not too late. Man, love to be able to have someone pray with you, talk with you, answer any questions. Again, either down here or back there at the follow Jesus table. Let that crisis moment turn into your victory moment, okay? It'll change everything. The call is to recognize who he is, who we are, and then to be thankful for his forgiveness. It's not too late. Love you all. God bless you. Have a great day.